The college baseball experience on the Sports Gambling Podcast Network is brought to you by Bird Dog Shorts. Dominate the summer with an amazing pair of shorts and a free Yeti-style tumbler when you order over at birddogs.com slash pool. That's birddogs.com slash pool. All right, already. Welcome back to a brand new episode of the College Baseball Experience. I'm your host, Noah Bienick, aka 77, and I'm coming at you live 11:50 p.m. Eastern Time. And I'm joined by a special guest today, now batting on the College Baseball Experience Action Network's Doug Ziefel. Sorry, I didn't I didn't double check with you on the last name and pronunciation before. I like to do that. I'm sorry. I apologize. But is it Ziefel? Yeah. No, you, you nailed it. And you know what? Honestly, most people don't. So I give you a lot of credit. Thank you, Noah, and thank you for having me. I'm excited to be back on again. Awesome, awesome. So, Doug, he's been writing college baseball picks articles this season with action. And he's, he was on the show last year during the College World Series with me. Um, so I think a major storyline from last year's College World Series going into this year's College World Series is that there's plenty of talent in this year's College World Series but last year, the first 10 games were decided by four or more runs. The winning team won the game by four or more runs. This year, we've seen six games played so far, and five of them were one-run victories. And shout-out to front of the show, Matt Grissom, for tallying up these trends and sending them to me. The opening number on unders are 6-0. and Florida versus Virginia pushed the closing line under, so technically you still didn't, you still didn't lose. But the dogs are five and one covering the run line, and favorites are four and two in these games. Doug, what's your takeaway from this tournament so far this year? Well, I mean, the the close games really comes down to pitching, and the the pitching in these field in this field is has been stellar from really all aspects. You know, you're looking at the top guys. Paul Skeens came out and yeah. dominated on the biggest stage that he has thus far. But then you look at um, you know, look at other guys like an, on TCU, Cole Klecker, and they had their uh, number two guys step up big time today. You know, it's just been an all-around effort from a lot of these teams, and it's been uh, starting pitching. And then other teams have found key guys in the bullpen who have kind of shown up on the big stage, and it's helped keep their around ball games. And that's why a lot of those run lines are closing in late. You know, Oral, Oral Roberts was plus three and a half, and they were down four for a majority of the game tonight. You know, we get to cash in a lot of tickets for people. <laughs> yeah, we, we talked about it pre-show. It's like there's a ton of talent in this year's starting pitching crop, but then the bullpens are really making it entertaining. And, you know, the baseball fan, the everyday baseball fan, not the diehard college baseball fans, the ones that are tuning in just for the College World Series, they get it all, man. They get a pitcher's duel early, um, and then they get an offensive affair late when some of the, uh, the pitching is, you know, a little bit, Iffy and uh, I mean, late game dramatics all the way around today. Uh, before we get into those, I have one more question that I want to ask you. I ask every guest that comes onto the show. That way, I mean, it's a it's a fun topic to discuss, and the listeners are able to pick up kind of where your fandom or rooting interest lies. Um, I mean, you've been covering college baseball for quite some time this season. Are there any futures that you currently hold uh, in this 
field of seven now as Virginia just got dumped today by TCU. Yes, uh, no, that is an unfortunate thing oh, no. there for Virginia here. You know, they were one of the teams that I was very high on. I, If anybody read my work heading into the field of 64, the two teams that I was highest on were Virginia and Tennessee. And oh, uh, now that Virginia is gone, my allegiances are with the Vols moving forward as, you know, they, they have all the pieces that you need to make a run. They do. And compared to last year's team, while it is not as talented, they still have the pitching depth, and the pressure is off. They are not the number one seed. They don't have these wealthy expectations. That's all on Wake, and we kind of saw that get to them maybe in game one there. But the Vols, they're built to bounce back, and we'll see if Dolander can lead them tomorrow. Yeah, I was also pretty high on Virginia. They're the the one team that I was like, my favorite it was my favorite value play. I thought you were getting a quality team at a great number. They had a tough regional, but I viewed it as a, a doable super. And then if they got there, their side of the bracket was the weaker side, in my opinion. That's kind of how it worked out. However, when I, I was tweeting it today, 0 for 14 in two games from Jake Geloff and Kyle Teal, that's just not going to play. Uh, when those two guys were carrying the burden of – you know, kind of this offense. I mean, Geloff was their big bopper with a lot of home runs. Teal, he was their RBI machine, bringing a lot of guys in. When you're missing that three and four hitter in the middle of the order, uh, quite literally, because they went 0 for 14 with just two walks, three strikeouts, it's tough, it's tough to win. And that was a, a hard way to go out when both guys have been so pivotal to the this team's success over the last two years. Yeah, that's definitely a testament to it because, you know, you can see as they go, the whole team goes. Yeah. And obviously the way they lost to Florida was crushing, you know, literally and figuratively with the balls flying out of the ballpark <laughs> yes. and also emotionally. But, I mean, they had the clear opportunity to bounce back today. Uh, Conley Early, he was not at his best, but he kept them in the game. Yeah. And they just could not cash in. And, and when a lot of it was Geloff and Teal in the middle of those spots you know they're they were able to uh their one run early was came on a geloff uh rbi ground out but yeah. that's obviously not what you're looking for from jake geloff yeah um and i agree with you i have a bit of tennessee however that's not where a ton of uh my money's sitting right now i grabbed tennessee because I, I felt i felt a little bit more confident in them over lsu in stanford to just get to the bracket final uh just questioning both of the other two teams pitching depth. And I, I think that you covered it perfectly. I think they have the pieces that you need to make a deep run. However, I do have a preseason on Wake um, and then Florida and TCU still on the other side at 100 to 1. Virginia, unfortunately, just got bounced. But um, I, I think it's going to be an interesting set of games. This side of the bracket that we're going to talk about and pick today, definitely the, uh, the more – marquee side with a lot of the better matchups any which way you size up these two teams or these four teams it's going to be a great matchup and we've got two more uh here today but before we get into recapping sunday's action i need to tell you about bird dogs because one they make you look good and they make you feel good they they are stretchy khaki shorts material designed to fit slimmer through the thigh and like giving you a truly sculpted look 
Bird Dog shorts do the exact same thing as Lululemon, but they fit much better. They fit way better than regular shorts that are made of stiff, restricting cotton fabric. And these Bird Dogs shorts fix the issue by inventing cloud knit fabric that looks just like khaki, but stretches so you get a way slimmer fit without having to sacrifice movement. Bird Dogs uses an anti-stink sweat wicking fabric that keeps you cool and dry all day long. I've always said it on this show when we've picked up Bird Dogs. Uh, I'm an avid golfer, and I'm still young. There's a lot of grad parties going on during the summer. You can go play a round of golf, uh, and if it runs long, you got a four-hour outing, and you, you need to just show your face at the grad party. These are perfect because they're not going to smell if you just go straight from golf to the grad party with your club still in the back of the trunk. So go to birddogs.com slash pool and enter fr- promo code pool, P-O-O-L, for a free Yeti-style tumbler with your order. That's birddogs.com slash pool for a free Yeti-style tumbler. You won't want to take your bird dogs off. We promise you. So the first game of the day, we kind of touched on it a little bit. TCU defeats Virginia 4-3. to three. Um, The big one for me here is, Virginia or uh, TCU in game one against Oral Roberts didn't really get the timely hitting that they did here in game two against Virginia. That first game against ORU, they were one for seven with runners in scoring position today. They took a little bit better advantage of that. However, only scoring four runs still not that really, really hot offense that we saw coming into Omaha. Um, And Sam Stoutenborough, he retired 12 hitters in a row at the beginning of the game, kind of stymieing Virginia's momentum because they had runners on in the first inning trying to make some noise. And then really the bats kind of fell asleep for the next four to five innings for the who's Um, you talked about it a little bit, Doug, but was there anything else that you wanted to add on this game? And just uh, what you saw from maybe the TCU side of things, we talked about uh, Geloff and Teal and, um, early pitching for UVA, but anything else? Well, yeah, I mean, <clears throat> TCU's victory really has to be a credit to their bullpen. And honestly, I think we've underrated them a little bit coming into the College World Series here. You know, uh, there's plenty of solid arm at the beginning to prove it. You know, while I'm someone who does buy into something finally available around, you know, college baseball here, there is a, uh, a couple of arms there that are de- that have solid ERAs, and they're showing it in this small field here. And, you know, they have the ability to get outs against some of the best bats in the country, and they did it today. So, you know, from Stoutenborough and everyone on back, it's really a credit to them to shut down this Virginia offense. I mean, five hits against the team that led the nation in batting, that led the nation in batting average. Yeah, that's impressive. Yeah, and you touched on it. That bullpen has been impressive. And maybe I overlooked them a little bit, too. Um, because that was the one big question that I had. I still had a future on them because I saw how hot they were getting in the month of May. Um, but Ben Abel, he gave up the two runs in the Indiana State Series, and I, I was like, you know what, he might not, you know, I don't know if he's going to have it in the in the big, when he gets to the show, when he gets to Omaha with the big lights. But, I mean, he looked great against Virginia today, and, since May 1st, Abelt has pitched 24.2 innings. He's allowed just two runs. That's a 0.71 ERA. And I was watching the postgame presser on this, and Kirk Sarlos said that uh, he is better when he's pitching, you know, consistently, like day after day or with short rest in between. He learned that early on throughout the season, um, he's kind of a weird arm slot lefty, and it would be tough for him to – have to sit out a couple of days and then reappear 
because um, he wouldn't have that rhythm or uh, struggle to find that same arm slot. So I, I thought that was really interesting from the post-game presser. That was one thing that I took away. And I had to go look and uh, see if the stats that he was talking about were true. And, I mean, the 24.2 innings, just two runs since May 1st, Doug. Yeah, I mean, you're not going to find many guys more dominant than that. And, and it, that's, that, that's a solid sample size for a guy who's going to be a reliever here on out, really. And yeah. uh, the other thing I want to note, too, is giving credit to these TCU hitters really making life tough on Conley early. You know, he's somebody who I built my future off of. He was electric for the Hoos this year. But, you know what, I, I, I took a note here when I was watching it, uh, that Conley Early is going to be kangaroo court. You know, if, if nobody knows what kangaroo court is, if you ever listen to MLB pitchers from the 80s and 90s, uh, they used to have this court amongst their players. They call it the kangaroo court. And pitchers would receive fines for giving up hits with two strikes. Early was unable to finish all TCU hitters today, whether they wound up being base hits or even just putting the ball away. It, it drove up his pitch count. It made him work really hard. It was even surprising that he finished five, honestly. You know, the way he cruised through the fifth saved the Who's a lot of extra trouble. But credit to TCU, they figured out a way to make this game tough from the start. Yeah, and speaking of tough, let's move to that second game because, oh, man, was, was this one tight at the end. You know, it, it was it was a tale of two, two stories, kind of. I mean, Oral Roberts early on had the – had some traffic working on the base pass on Hurston Waldrop, but he settled in throughout the game and the Waldrop through six innings. He only gave up one run. He had 12 strikeouts and those three walks for him came in those first three innings when he just didn't settle in early. Um, but when he did, he was pretty dang good. And that split change was on point today. Um, anything kind of split it up in the, in the first six innings. We had a five, one lead for Florida going into the seventh, uh, anything that you want to talk about prior to the last three innings here? Well, I mean, you know, the 5-1 lead all came on long balls. And that's yeah. the end of the team. You know, I mean, it's what makes them dangerous. Strike against Virginia. And they you know, have the ability to do that to any team they go up against in this field. And that, that's really what you're going to have to keep in the back of your head when you're uh, handicapping a Florida game going forward, whether you've been like me taking unders and sweating them profusely <laughs> <laughs> or, or, or holding the world against them and losing that misery. But I guess. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, and then let's, let's jump into when it got really, really exciting. Florida, their scoring stopped after the fourth inning when Jacob Widener, Came in tall, lefty, uh, just really funky sidearm slot. Um, you know, he only had four K, uh, four Ks in the four innings, or it seemed like four innings. I think it was the three innings of work that he did, but he just kind of took Florida hitters just off off their off their feet because they were going, they were feeling uh, huge momentum after just hitting. They hit like three bombs in that. Uh, it was two bombs in that fourth inning. And, I mean, it was kind of like, oh, shit, th this is where Oral Roberts' Cinderella story kind of just falls apart and they're going to disappear. No, I mean, this pen was one of the better pens coming into Omaha, in my opinion, and they showed it. I mean, there was not a single run after uh, Harley Gollert came out, scored uh, on this pen. So 
or Roberts, that's a testament to them and just their resiliency because this offense just has not given up at all this tournament. They were down 8 nothing, uh, or not 8 nothing, but they were up 8 nothing on Oregon. They gave up that lead. They came back the second day in the final three innings. They overcame a three-run deficit to then walk that game off at Oregon. And then in game three, they were down going in the late innings again, and they pulled away in the ninth inning to win it like 11-6. to six. This team, it, you know, it, it's another thing that I kind of overlooked because the competition that they played wasn't there through the regular season. And then I thought that the Stillwater Regional was very competitive. They came out of there, and I was super impressed. And then when they went to Oregon, they had their hands full. And I wasn't uh, really impressed with Oregon's play much of – the entire season. So, uh, and their pitching was just not there. A lot of them, they had their top two starters were out with injury and then two more relievers during that Oral Roberts series was injured. But I mean, you look at this Oral Roberts team and they pounced on the Gators bullpen. Um, you look, you came in and you saw Ryan Slater not get out of the inning. He gave up two runs and then the whole debacle with the Brandon Neely thing how uh you know j uh what's what's his name bt ryapel uh is very active in going out and talking to this pitcher uh to his pitcher uh throughout florida's games and that adds up and Sully didn't realize that when there was a review earlier on in the inning that bt had again gone out there and talked to the pitcher and then when sullivan went out there when o'sullivan went out there to talk to neely he had to pull him because that was their seventh mound visit. You only get six in NCAA baseball. And now you bring in the true freshman, Cade Fisher, who had just given up a couple of runs to Virginia on Friday. And it was nails. I mean, this game was super tight, uh, super tight. Doug, walk me through how you were feeling as this one was coming to a close. Well, I mean, like I said, if someone told me under it here, and it's 12, I had got, got the book. The number here, you know, it was kind of going to plan through the first six innings. Ford is up. They're kind of pulling away. Waldrop's dealing. And then all of a sudden you said, like you, like you said, Earl Roberts' version of Randy Johnson comes in. <laughs> there you Gator, go. <laughs> the Gators' bats go quiet. And all of a sudden the magic begins for the Eagles. You know, it just, it, it's, they're, they, they, if you look at them statistically, they're high in WRC+. plus. But they're not this power team, and it's not going to play like a power team in Omaha. They're going to create traffic. They're going to, you know, they're just going to, they're they're going to like dink and dunk their way back in this. It seems like, and that's what they did to this Florida bullpen, and and it, it caused a lot of disruption. Clearly, to the point where they weren't even able to keep track of the mound visits, and it, it almost cost them. Yeah, um, it just we we have not had one bad game in Omaha so far this year. All six have been great. The one that wasn't a one-run game still had its late-inning dramatics, and it was between LSU and Tennessee. We're going to have two more that I think are going to be great here coming up in a second after I talk to you about Underdog Fantasy because Best Ball Mania 4 is here, and Underdog Fantasy is giving away $15 million in prizes. And Underdog Pick'em is a great way to get down on some of your favorite MLB and college baseball player props. There's so many ways to win over on Underdog and active in so many states. Head over to underdogfantasy.com and use promo code SGPN for a 100% deposit bonus up to $100. That's underdogfantasy.com, 
promo code SGPN. All right, so we've got two games on the slate here for Monday. We're starting with the afternoon game, the loser's bracket game, the elimination one. Tennessee, uh, I'll walk through kind of the pitching matchups here. Um, They're the acting road team, and the opening day press conference with Tony Vitello, he said that Chase Dolander would start game two. Dolander is 7-6 and six with a 450 ERA, 118 strikeouts, 28 walks, and 86 innings. Chase Dolander has a 5-11 ERA in his three postseason starts. The book on Dolander is that he gets better the deeper that he goes into the game. Here's a good nugget. Stanford has scored at least one run in the first two innings of their eight NCAA tournament games. They've played nine. So in eight of their nine games, they've scored at least one run in the first two innings, and that's usually the time to get Dolander. His ERA going into the last start against Southern Miss, he didn't give up a run, but going into it, it was above four in the first inning, and then after the first inning, it was sub two. So when you're looking to get on Dolander, it is in the first two innings. Um, The Vols, they used – Many bullpen arms, uh, notably Seth Halverson for 31 pitches. He allowed two runs in 1.2 innings. Camden Sewell threw 28, uh, 23 pitches and gave up a run on two hits in one inning. Aaron Combs, Kirby Connell, uh, Hollis Fulming, uh, A.J. Russell, they all shook the cobwebs off. But I think all of them would be eligible. I mean, not eligible, but they would be uh, definitely a go-to arm out of the pen if Vitello needed them. And they haven't even used Chase Burns yet. So that's an untaxed arm in that bullpen. For Stanford, um, I think a lot of thinking probably went into this decision for David Esker. A lot of people, including myself, thought that Quinn Matthews would be the guy there on uh, Saturday. However, I think he looked at the radar, and it was quite spotty. And there was no rain, but there was a lightning delay, and it was in the seventh inning, and it would have probably burned Matthews for his start. And I think that's something that you have to look at. So they staved them here for this game, too. Um, Obviously, they would have preferred to be in the winner's bracket. um, But they have him, and their best chance to win a game is when Matthews goes seven or eight, and the offense scores five or more on the year. they they score five or more because the pen is just a little bit of their weakness. And on the year, Matthews is 10 and four with a 360 ERA, 152 strikeouts, 39 walks, and 120 innings. Quinn Matthews has a 225 ERA and three NCAA tournament appearances. I'm not sure how much of the pen the trees will use here in this game, but three big arms of theirs all pitched on Saturday. Drew Dowd, 24 pitches, Nick Dugan, 23, Ryan Bruno, 19. All of them probably appear here if needed on Monday. The odds on this game are Tennessee on the money line, minus 145. This is found on DraftKings. Stanford, plus 115. The total set at 10 with the under at minus 120. Minus 1.5 on Tennessee is plus 110. Plus 1.5 on Stanford is minus 140. Doug, how are we splitting the two teams here? Yeah, well, I mean, like you said, it's going to start with the starting pitching here. You know, it, it's you can't really pick a better matchup here with Dolander and Matthews. But like we've seen with Mark and as you as as we talked about pre-show, uh, the balls opened up at around minus 160, and they are now trickling down. Like you said, DraftKings has probably the highest line around that I've seen at minus 145, and that means there's been money on Stanford as people are backing Quinn Matthews. And it's clear he's got that dog in him. 
his his uh, his effort uh, in the, in the supers clearly proved that this guy is gonna will this guy is going to will his team to win everything he can. But there's a big but here because Tennessee can match it, and they don't have to match him with just Dolander. As you said, they've got plenty of arms. They've got uh, Chase Burns who and maybe close out the game for three innings, three three to four innings. He heck, he even made he made a whole start against Clemson in regionals. You know, yeah. at, at the pen with that game going so long. It, it, it this game is going to be a grind offensively for both of these clubs because, like you said, Stanford their best shot is to strike early. But with Tennessee, they brought in a lot of new talent this year. It took a while for this lineup to get going. And while they have turned into a solid offensive club, we've also seen that trend kind of play out in games as well, especially in the postseason. They don't exactly start hot. You kind of see them start to get better reads as they get through that second, third time through the order. So while uh, Stanford may ride Matthews, that also might be to his detriment because it might be playing into the strength of this ball lineup. So where are you going with this game? What's your pick here? So uh, as we went over, I, I have my Vols future. And yeah. while I do agree with the pricing of, uh, well, the, the pricing movement towards Stanford, I'm going to take the under here. And right now you can get the under at DraftKings. They're hanging a 10 at minus 120, which if you shop around is same same price. But a lot of shops are hanging nine and a half. So you can get yourself an extra half a run here. And I think that's the way to go because, like I said, I, I expect Matthews to give it his all. And Tennessee, he he'll—I mean—he'll contain Tennessee. While Bill Linder may be shaky in the first, I think he—he's—he's he's got the stuff to hang around and give them a solid effort. And even if he only can make it through five, running up pitch count, worst-case scenario, you turn to Burns, who's been just electric out of the pen. You know, you, you, you can see this guy is profiling as a dominant closer in the future. Yeah. But here he's not doing it for one inning. He can do it for, like I said, three to four innings, and that will really keep the scoring lower. Yeah, I, I think you make great points. And I always I, I have a future on Tennessee. However, it's chump change, and it's easy for me to hedge out, and that was the whole plan. I have to do it here because I was nervous about Matthew starting in this game. I had a wrong read on this. When it opened, Tennessee was minus 160. Stanford was plus 125. I thought that some money would come in on Tennessee and the price would rise on Stanford. And I was hoping that I would get a, a nice value with Quinn Matthews on the mound. However, I think that all the news buzz that Matthews received over the last week after throwing 156 pitches may overshadow that, you know, Dolander is still a top 10 pick in this draft. So, Right now, for me, my pick is still going to be Stanford. That's kind of how I wanted to attack this game. However, I've not put money on this game yet. I want that price to grow a little bit, to be honest, before I jump into it because that pen is still a huge concern of mine. With Quinn Matthews on the mountain, that there is the possibility that it doesn't even come into play. I mean, this guy has thrown 110 pitches or more in 14 of his uh, 18 appearances so far this season. So, he tries his best to not leave it up to the pen after him. And I, I think that's one way you have to look at this. Because um, 
I think that this Stanford offense, it's a quality offense. It's, a lot of people say that it is an SEC offense. There's plenty of talent here. Um, if they jump on Dolander, like they have in eight of their nine NCAA tournament games scoring a run in the first two innings, that might be enough for Quinn Matthews because he's got strikeout stuff. He's a big changeup guy. And Tennessee, they can hit the velo, but they struggle with kind of the mid-tier fastball or off-speed. I think this is the spot where you take Stanford. I'm like I said, I don't have any money on it yet. I'm gonna hope that a lot of public money comes in on Tennessee in general because they're a public team, but also because Dolander's on the mound, he's a top MLB prospect. I'm hoping that's the narrative out there, and I can get a better price on Stanford uh, going into this game. Anything that you want to add on the Vols and Trees before we move into the next one? Uh, one additional angle that I think is interesting, building off of your nugget with the. Uh the Stanford getting to Dolander in the first inning, first or second inning. If, yeah. if, if uh, you're in a state that has Bet365, they have been bringing Nerfy and Yerfies. Okay. And while they don't have pricing out right now, I – What have those I, prices been sitting at? I haven't even been looking. It's It's be been – it's actually – most of them have – I only found it the other day. I didn't even realize it was over there. And um, – This is awesome been, stuff. I've <laughs> been juiced uh, – over half a run. Sorry, Doug, your your Wi-Fi cut out. Can you repeat what you said there? The last like oh. sentence or two. Yeah. So the uh, for the pricing on these nerfies and yerfies and uh, at Bet three six five, a yeah. lot of the uh, a lot of a lot of the pricing has been juiced towards the over. And, okay. I mean, offensive year in college baseball, but with yeah. the magnitude of this pitching matchup, I think we might be able to get a fair price. I'm, I opened up the book now. I'm here in New Jersey, and uh, they don't have pricing out right now, unfortunately. But, I mean, even even if you can get it at maybe 115, 120, I would yeah. say that's a solid bet based on that trend. You know, you, you really it, – it's it's the old saying with, with these ace pitchers, if you're going to get to them, get to them early. Work yeah. even while we – have the data backing the trees. It could work the other way as well. You know, Matthews is coming off a big outing. He's going to be amped up. Command could be there. Command could not be there. It only takes one mistake from each of these lineups to put a run on the board. So yeah. might be an and, interesting angle. And adding to your thing about Matthews here, I mean, it, it's it's stupid of me to say, but it's also there. I mean, this has been his longest layoff in between starts because they were they did held hold him back. He, he hasn't pitched in seven days. Yeah. I mean, that's that's something. The last time he started was last Sunday. It's a seven-day rest. Normal starting pitchers are used to six days rest in college baseball. However, I mean, his previous two starts were on five days rest. So, mm-hmm. I mean, this guy's just been sitting in the dugout antsy, and he's a energetic guy if you've ever heard uh, some of his interviews. Uh, just kind of like an oddball. Uh, total PO, like uh, being yep. one mm-hmm. myself in college. I mean, there's plenty of those guys in that pen. Um, and Quinn Matthews is just one of them. He's one of the dudes. Uh, moving on to the second game, the nightcap, the winner's bracket game. The two teams are 1-0 and right now, LSU and Wake Forest. From watching all of these postgame pressers with Jay Johnson, uh, he has not confirmed that Ty Floyd will start. However, I feel like 90% confident that Floyd does start this game for the tar- Tigers. He's 7-0 and with a 4.50 ERA and 93 strikeouts, 32 walks in 78 innings. Uh, Ty Floyd has a 3.98 ERA in three postseason starts. In my opinion, I'm not too impressed with Floyd. Floyd had uh, 
did give up four home runs in his last two starts here. Um, and specifically, he gave up three to Kentucky. If you make those kind of mistakes to this Wake Forest lineup, I think they're going to make you pay. And mix that in with some uh, patient offensive attack at the plate. Uh, if Floyd can't find the strike zone, the Deeks will work his count up, and they'll get to this LSU pen that has looked very shaky through the last half of the season. And just last game, Skeens, he looked incredible. Seven innings. Once Tennessee got into that pen, they had all the life you could have asked for from the Vols, and they had traffic on the base paths. Um, going in, like talking about this pen here, uh, Jay Johnson used two his two most reliable relievers in that game, Gavin Guidry. Uh, I don't know if he was most reliable, but he was most used in the NCAA tournament coming in. He's a freshman. He was a dual player that you know has been shifted to the pen and the back end of the pen and he had been pitching all right uh first pitch home run they removed him from the game they put in riley cooper who done threw 22 pitches and he came up big uh shutting the door here for lsu cooper will be the go-to guy on monday I'll, i can tell you that 22 pitches won't keep him out of monday's game and that'll probably be the first option out of the pen and then for wake forest tom walters said that josh hartle would start game two for the deeks in his opening presser, Hartle is 11 and two with a 2.80 ERA, 131 strikeouts, 20 walks in 96.1 innings this season. However, Josh Hartle in his last four starts has a 70, 7.80 ERA. It's been the worst stretch of his season, where he was otherwise dominant and an ace on any other team in the country. Unlike LSU's bullpen, Wake Forest's bullpen has been locked down and very reliable basically all season long. Uh, they have three starting pitchers in that pen right now that will come out uh, early and often if needed. You have Sean Sullivan who threw 25 pitches on Saturday, Seth Keener threw 19 and then Reed Mascolo didn't throw, but he's also there in that back end. Um, and then add in one of the nation's best closers and Reed mess uh, in, sorry, in Camden Menashe, uh, Menashe, Menashe. I've heard it both different ways. Uh, the ESPN broadcast crew called him Menashe, so I'm going with that for now. He shut the door with a one, two, three inning, two Ks, uh, came up with the save against Stanford. Um, the Lions on this game currently minus 165 on Wake Forest, plus 135 on LSU's money line. Total set at 10 and a half, minus 120 on that under, minus 110 on the over. Wake Forest minus one and a half is plus 110. LSU plus one and a half is minus 140. Doug. Are you are you team SEC or team ACC? I mean, college baseball, it's always kind of this battle between the two conferences. Where are you going here? I am siding with the ACC here. I jumped on Wake right at open at minus 150. And I, right now it's just <clears> – <throat> so I have a bunch of notes here on Wake. And essentially it's a it's – a, it's a, it's a, from looking back at that and Stanford – I had put out a tweet where we get a game and you're analyzing their approach. Now, with the credit to Joey Dixon, he came out and looked fantastic, mixing in the off-speed, mixing yeah. in the curveball, really keeping this extremely potent lineup off balance the entire game. But what it also did is it made them hesitant in the fastballs. And this is a team that, you know, they can feast and I think they will get back to doing that. Now, the thing is, Floyd, if he starts, which is most likely at this point, yeah. is a fastball pitcher. He mm -hmm. 
he will ride his mid it's you know mid to flashing upper 90s it'll probably play up we've seen guys play up look at spro touching 101 102 yeah. but you know it'll probably play up and i i think wake is going to come out aggressive they're going to hunt his fastball and if floyd has any manned issues i honestly think the hook might be short for him you could see them turn to thatcher Hurd, who actually hadn't did a great job in regional shutting down like a, a shutting down in oregon state lineup but um, I was looking back at Floyd's numbers as well. I know You're you good. said you were not high. You were not high on him, and you look at uh, his FIP season six point two. Now, I mean, in comparison, his his his. You said his ERA has been good of late, but yes. clear sign of regression coming. And also, the one thing I don't like is, like I said, Wake's going to hunt his fastball. And the majority of his outs have come in the air. Now, if Wake is going to hunt hard fastballs and they're going to turn them around, and they're going to be in the air. Many not many may not stay in the park, and that could be treacherous for LSU. While they do have the bats to compete, it's it's going to be very tough for them to get to Josh Hartle. You know, like we were saying with Matthews, where the rest might hurt him. This might be the case where the extra the the. Uh, the travel time and everything between supers here might help Hartle rebound here. Um, I've seen some chatter around uh, LSU's splits against left-handed pitchers. I have too, and I was going into that if you didn't I, take it, but go ahead. I, yeah, I, I will. You know, honestly, if you have anything, I was trying to dig on it. I keep seeing people bring yeah. it up, and I could not find current statistics. Did you all. see our like the thread that I was involved in today with with Matt? And or Johnny, yeah, uh, and uh, Jeff Davis from oh, Circus yeah, Sports. Oh, yeah, Jeff the, uh, Circa. Yeah, I, I, I read through some of them. Yes, yeah, the line maker of uh, Circa. He he had jumped in, and I, I think he deleted some of his replies. But he was talking about the lefty thing too. I have no idea how to find some of the splits, but I did my best work in jumping in here. But I think it's kind of telling that. I mean, one, the college baseball gambling community is really small and when you get into the, some of this stuff uh you can really like one find out where everybody's at what they're thinking but shout out to casey wilson as well i had hit him up uh to try to come onto the pod uh this week as well um the schedules just aren't really aligning aligning right now um he, he still has the open invite to come on because this was one hell of a threat because you had a bunch of uh gambling twitter minds for college baseball jumping in here and I, you know, Jeff Davis goes, um, he, he said at Wake Forest, Wake minus 220 plus 190. Casey Wilson said that uh, this is his original tweet that started the whole thing. Wake Forest minus 150 against LSU. I could never imagine laying minus 150 against LSU. Um, he, he just, I mean, Tennessee has plenty or, I mean, LSU has plenty of talent. They were number one in the country for the first 11 weeks. And then Wake Forest kind of took over in the last four. Mm-hmm. Um, Davis setting the line at minus one, uh, minus 220 compared to a minus 150 line from DraftKings that's now minus 165 with some of the movement here is, is kind of telling. And then I, I commented under Davis saying that this is similar to what I think uh, I'd list the game at. I've already jumped on the minus 150 number because I have bet that and I tweeted that out early. And I honestly think that's where Casey, um, he, he kind of didn't quote tweet me, but he, he went to the timeline and just said I couldn't imagine betting it. Because mm-hmm. uh, me and him, we were talking about Texas Stanford and the CLV versus 
is that team really going to win? Because mm-hmm. Lucas Gordon was starting and Quinn Matthews wasn't. So mm-hmm. the line creeped up all the way to minus 150 for Texas against Stanford. And I was like, I don't know if the CLV is really worth it there. Texas came back. They scored the three runs late in the ninth inning to win it. Uh, and in my opinion, bail out Casey. But his his early play on Texas with the good number, I mean, I can, I can acknowledge when a number was good, and it was. And he got the right number, and he won along with many other sharp minds in college baseball. And I think that's the same angle that we've got here. And Jeff Davis goes, that's a good bet, in my opinion, the, the minus 150 number. He goes, LSU's offense is far weaker against lefties than righties. The drop-off from louder to Hartle is not as big as some may think. There's a huge bullpen advantage for the Deeks. I mean, this is coming from one of the line makers out there in Las Vegas. And I'm like, okay, I don't know how to find these stats. I'm going to do some digging. Here's what I can tell you, uh, Doug. Mm-hmm. They are 0-3. In their last three games where a left-handed starting pitcher from the SEC started the game, they averaged just 4.3 runs, and they lost all three. So, I mean, I don't know if that's what everybody's basing this off of because I don't have any concrete numbers that say that these guys aren't as good against left-handed pitching because the box scores don't look that bad. Tommy Vale absolutely dealt, but they – they pushed Hagen Smith out. They got him out of the game in 3.2 innings. Then Hunter Holland came in, and he dealt in the back half on the piggyback start. And then um, Texas A&M, Will Johnston threw all right. He threw five innings. I think he gave up three runs. But those are the three scenario situations within the last six weeks that a left-handed starting pitcher started the game that was really, really good in, in the SEC. And I think that's where the talent is able to – you know, kind of match Hartle. Uh, after mm-hmm. all of that that I just said, Doug. Uh, I mean, does that kind of sway you at all? I mean, I don't know how to adju- uh, how to how to handle it. I've already jumped on the minus one fifty just knowing that the bullpens are there. But you know, does the LSU offense struggle against left-handed pitching? I mean, like you said, this is extremely small and not very <laughs> not very deep sample size. Yeah, seems to suggest. But you know what? Like one of the games you brought up was uh, against Hagen Smith in the SEC tournament. And while you said Hagen Smith got out of there in three and two thirds in that piggyback start, correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't he strike out like nine batters? Yes, he did. He, he, he had he nine Ks. Dominated. Like yeah. it is the point where it ran up his own pitch count. Yes, because you know? he, he was on he was on a short count. He was on exactly. short rest. There was 75 pitches, and that was the limit. He was pissed off that he yeah. came out of the game, that DVH made the move. But, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, yeah I mean, that, that that was the game. It basically out-dueled schemes. And, you know, yes. I was sitting there, and I was like, wow. You know, and credit to – I remember um, uh, my, my, right. my partner here at the Action Network, Carlson, you know, big hog fan. And yeah. he after after that game, he was like, you know, he's like, I'm – Dogs and Hagen Smith gave him, gave him a reply. And you know, if this lefty trend holds true, Hartle is the guy to dominate this lineup. I mean, it he's is. absolutely electric. You know, you, you really you can make the argument that when he's on, there, you know, he's one beat to louder. You know, yeah. they're racking up 131 Ks. He, it's, it's, he has the potential to dominate this lineup if he can find. And, and they're going to come in. They could piggyback here, too, because they've got mm-hmm. Hartle that's starting, and then Sean Sullivan's a wicked left-hander that yeah. dealt with an injury during the middle half of the season. He got moved to the pen, just 
not really because he was bad. It was just because he wasn't stretched out. And that's the case here where he's been nasty out of the pen and he's going to be available again. He only threw 25 pitches the other day uh, against Stanford. And like, this is a short sample size. However, it's kind of telling that if you can hold the second highest scoring offense in college baseball, to just 4.3 runs, it's a short sample, three games, but Four runs, four runs, and five runs in those three games. Uh, I think we're on the right side, and we both got the minus one fifty number. Mm-hmm. Um, any any feel on the total here? Because I mean, this is a Josh Hartle. Like, however, we're, we're talking about the matchup here that it kind of favors him. Mm-hmm. We we can't ignore that the guy has a seven eighty ERA in his last four starts. Ty Floyd hasn't looked in my opinion, hasn't looked amazing this season. Um, he is, he has the seven and zero record, but I think that he is kind of vulnerable to this wake forest lineup that likes to hit the heat. And he had trouble locating that curveball against Kentucky. The changeup really, he doesn't have a feel on that. He's kind of a, just a two pitch starting pitcher in my opinion with the fastball curve. Um, just do you, do you think that the over is going to hit on this one? We, the under six and zero. It's only yeah. ten and a half with two very, very good offenses, the number one and number two scoring offenses in the country. Yeah, I mean, well, actually, I think it's dropped to nine and a half. I'm seeing pretty much every market but DraftKings is is painted at nine and a half. Wow. Due to the under as well. So you know what? <laughs> I I after everything we've gone through here, it's definitely worth a shot, especially if uh the trend of LSU scoring four to five runs because if we can match them, we're going to be right there. Yeah, you know, Doug, and, and obviously, we're, you, we're you kind of came in for like every fourth word. I could understand <laughs> what you were saying, but I don't know how it's going to sound on the audio side. Do you mind running through it one more time? Yeah, I'll, I'll go back. So, like I was saying, uh, this total is now really painted at nine and a half, it's dropped from ten and a half. And that's juice to the under. But what we were saying, if this if this trend against left-handed pitching holds, uh, you're going to have L in that four to five run range, and we're expecting Wake to bounce back offensively. So we're going to be right around that nine ten total. Yeah. It's it's definitely going to be worth a look if it somehow drops to nine and we get some type of juice on the over. I mean, e- honestly, even if you can get nine and a half at minus one hundred five. I would say that's definitely worth a look. Uh, like you said, or like well, like we went over, if Floyd, if Floyd implodes and they have to herd, you know, that there's definitely there's going to be runs on the board early. So it's it's the over is going to be in a good spot. Yeah, I I I really like the the way that uh, we're kind of handicapping this one on the fly, uh, with with the the trend that I mean we both. We don't know how they actually perform batting average-wise and any advanced analytics-wise against left-handed pitching, but this is all we have to go off of because it's very hard to find some of that advanced stuff in college baseball and statistics-wise. Um, you, you've mentioned it, I think, two or three times now, Thatcher Hurd. Do you really think that they'd go to him out of the pen here? Because, I mean, he would probably be their top option because if they lose on Monday, they play on Tuesday. He'd probably be their, their guy to start that game. I, I feel like he's earned some trust in the bullpen as being their stopper. You know, like that. that's kind of the term that I've, I've, uh, I've liked to adopt it, at least for, for college baseball. And in these tournament formats, you need a stopper. 
because if you know in this situation if Floyd falters you need somebody to come in and stop the bleeding immediately especially yeah. against Wake because they can blow the game open and and Hearn like I said he looked very good in regionals against uh, Oregon State which is a very potent lineup you know and I, he's going to earn some trust in that role and it, you know LSU has a chance to put themselves in a great spot if they can stay competitive with Wake here. You know, I really think they can't afford to push themselves to the brink of elimination because even if her start game three, they're still not going to have another reliable option behind him. That's I agree. Really it's, it's either Christian Little or Blake Money there. That yes. if, if Hurd goes in this second game in relief, those are your two starters for that mm-hmm. third game, whether it's the winning winner's bracket against any of the three teams that are still alive here or in the loser's bracket against the winner of Stanford, Tennessee. And do you trust little or money here? I don't know. I think money has kind of been on the good side of Jay Johnson's shoulder right now compared to little mm-hmm. uh, money did get rewarded with like a, it was a 15 nothing lead against Oregon state that he was able to come in and finish the game off. So, I mean, if that's how you want to view it, money would probably be the guy that starts game three. Mm-hmm. Um, so, to end the show, I, I like to do this as well because uh, some days we have really good prices that are really bettable, and some days we don't. I think today this is a very attackable board if you want to be aggressive. Um, but just one play to go for the listeners. What's your favorite play here for Monday's College Baseball? My favorite play for the slate is, is Wake at, well, and the minus 150 is probably unavailable. Like I said, we got that at open. Um, it's minus but, 165 right now on draft. Yeah, and I'm trying to look. So if we're going off line making, okay, uh, I'm going to use my friend Colin Wilson's projections here that he puts out. Uh, he has he has Wake priced at minus 267, which is little steep. Yeah, I mean, going but, off of what Jeff Davis of Circa said, minus two twenty was his number there too. Even, even, yeah, and you know what? And if you're going to take those two numbers and even average them, you're going to be in that minus two forty range. Yeah, which is going to create significant value on anything under minus two hundred. Honestly, I mean, yes, we are putting confidence in Hartle, who's struggled lately, but really, it's going to be the bats that are going to lead this here, and you know. Oh, I'm, I'm back. I'm, I'm hoping, not hoping, I'm very much expecting the Deeks to bounce back offensively here. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I like Wake Forest here, uh, the price, wherever you can get it. I, I like it anything under 200. I think when you're starting to get over 200, that's where my view of, you know, Hartle has struggled lately in this LSU offense is really, really good. Like, mm-hmm. we don't mean to slight this offense in any single way possible. When you get down to the the nitty gritty in the college world series, you have to try to find something to poke a hole in the number two overall offense in scoring runs per game. Um, so I, I like wake forest a lot. I like that over that we kind of live handicapped as well. Um, when you were saying you were looking at nine and a half, so basically across the board, except for DraftKings, which I had in front of me. I mean, mm-hmm. DraftKings is the one that they're always the quickest to the odds. And that's what I just go there by habit uh, for these shows. But um, I would say, for me, the three that I'll probably have money on tomorrow is I already have money on Wake Forest. I'm planning on hitting this over pretty much right after the show on a different mm-hmm. book. And and then 
Stanford, I'm going to wait till like an hour before. And if that thing's at plus 130 or higher, I think that there's a little bit of value there if the offense is able to jump on Dolander early. And hopefully Matthews just goes deep. If he's not going deep, this thing's over. It's road off. Just go ahead and live bet it against yourself there and try to middle or just head yourself out of it. But, uh, yeah, that's how I view the day. Doug, anything that you want to add before you hit the road? Uh, Plays-wise, no. I mean, we – we, we've went over a lot of my a lot of my angles. Like I said, keep an eye out on that Yurfi in uh, the Stanford. Yeah. We have we have very interesting trend that I'm gonna I'm gonna look at first thing in the morning once I get up. Um, but you know, Monday could be fantastic. I can't wait for two o'clock Eastern. Uh, I I am I am jacked up for this this day. It's gonna be great. Yeah, and shout out to the live chat. I haven't really acknowledged them until like the final five minutes of the show. I feel bad. But we've had over 20 people in here tonight past midnight discussing college baseball. And, uh, you know, Ryan Hasty in the chat, he goes, is Wake Forest money line or run line minus one and a half? It's plus 110 right now currently. Is that a play that? He cut out on me a little bit. Oh, my bad. So, so Wake Forest, the run line to minus one and a half, it's currently at plus 110. Is that something that you would consider? Because I would say if you are unable to get a good price on the money line, I would probably go for the run line too. I would just want yeah, some money yeah. on the forest. Yeah, we, we haven't seen a lot of uh, a lot of run lines in that plus money territory. And, yeah. you know, that's, that's pretty much a credit to the pitching matchup, really. Because, like you said, betting the underdog run lines has been extremely profitable yet. Here is where we're going to get a good spot to take a favorite run line, uh, a favorite's run line with plus money. And like yeah. I said, if, if our handicap goes as we think it may with Floyd potentially <laughs> faltering and Hartle bouncing back, the Deeks are going to win this game by multiple runs. So covering that spread is definitely within the realm of possibility and is definitely worth a sprinkle if you're on the Deeks with us. That's exactly how I look at it. Doug, thank you very much. I appreciate you coming on. Just uh, providing another uh, point of view, because, I mean, when you're talking College World Series, we have eight teams max. Now we only have seven teams, but we're only discussing the four teams on the board today. Mm-hmm. And having another voice is very fun for the listeners of the show that always come back daily. Uh, so it's not just me, because basically my views on all the teams uh, overall haven't changed uh, from – when we entered uh, the tournament here in Omaha, but uh, always like having a guest on. Thank you very much for coming on. I know it was probably a tough ask coming on at 11:45 at night, but really appreciate it. All the love, all the followers loved it. Um, so you can follow Doug on Twitter at Doug. It's D O U G Z Z I E F E L, and he's writing articles for Action Network over there. Check them out. Uh, how how often are you pump, pumping them out, Doug? So uh, over there, I'm I'm pretty much year round. If you want to follow me, uh, I'll cover I cover college baseball. I cover the MLB. Then we'll transition over to college football, college basketball, and you know. Uh, but personally, I am I am very passionate about the college baseball writing. You know, that's something I spearheaded here at the Action Network, and I'm very proud of it. I appreciate everybody who follows my work and reads it. Any comments, any likes, I will respond to you. I will give you my insight. I, if you value it, I appreciate it. You know, I, like I said, this this college baseball community, especially on Twitter, has been something that has, you know, grown with me, and it's awesome, you know, and they get getting to connect with Noah here and other people in our community. So the more it grows, the better this is going to get. So 
thank you to everybody who is already here and anybody who comes. Thanks, Doug, a lot. Um, and just as we head out, you can view all of my picks daily on the sportsgamblingpodcast.com slash college baseball picks. It's in the MLB tab, the drop down college baseball picks. They're for free there. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter, the word 70, the number seven NB, uh, the Sports Gambling Podcast Network. There's a ton of great work, a bunch of people like me covering their favorite niche sport as well. And also, you got to go over and check out the college football experience. Colby's doing an excellent job. He's going all 133, 133 team previews in the preseason here for college football. I couldn't recommend it enough. And I'm over there clipping away at those shows while I'm not doing college baseball stuff. So thank you all for tuning in. Um, you've been experiencing the better side of college baseball with the college baseball experience. Adios, amigos.